Hey guys, welcome back to Just a Grown True Crime, and I'm your host, Heaven. So, like I said in the last case of Sylvia Likens, that we were going to be doing a podcast about a young boy who was wrongfully convicted and sentenced to death. And his name is George Stinley, Stinney, I'm sorry, George Stinney Jr., and it's not probably going to be as long as my other podcast, but we are going to hop right into it and I'm going to keep my opinions to myself and then we're going to talk about it in the end. All right, so let's hop to it. So George was born on Monday, October 21st in 1929 in Pinewood, South Carolina. He was raised in the segregated segregated mill town of Alcula in South Carolina. Alcula was a small working class mill town where white people and black people were separated by railroad tracks. Even after living separately on the opposite sides of the railroad spur, men from both white and black families worked together for the D.W. Outerman and Sons Company. George, alongside with his parents and his four other siblings, lived near the railroad tracks in a three-room company house reserved for black families. He attended Alcula's school for black children where he was a student of seventh grade his father's name was george stinney senior and he was a former sharecropper and was employed at the town's sawmill his mother's name was amy and she worked as a cook at the school george went to for black children george had two brothers john who was his half-brother and he had a brother named Charles and he had two younger sisters named Catherine and Amy. Now let's talk about the incident what they called it from what I researched. Um, two white girls I'm sorry two white young girls um, named Betty June Binnaker, who was 11 years old, and Mary Emma Thames, who was seven seven years old, had gone missing on March 23rd in 1944 while they were riding their bicycles through Alclua. I'm pretty sure I'm saying that wrong, but that's how I think it's pronounced. Their mutilated bodies were found the next day. The accident triggered massive unrest in Alclua. On March 23rd, the girls Betty and Mary were riding their bikes and they were on a search for flowers. On their way, they stopped near George, George's house where he was sitting along with his sister Amy at the time. 
The girls inquired them where they could find Maypops, the yellow edible flower of passion flowers. Reportedly, that is where the girls were last spotted alive. Thereafter, Betty and Mary um, never returned to their home. Following the disappearance of Betty and Mary, hundreds of Alclua residents um, and even George's father all came together to search for these missing girls. However, the girls could not be traced after that day. The next morning, George Burke Sr., one of the big bosses at the lumber mill, led a search operation and he was the one who discovered the mutilated dead bodies of the young girls in a soggy ditch. Lady, later, sorry, Dr. Ashbury Cecil Bozard examined the dead bodies of the girls and reported that it was a brutal murder in which the girls have received multiple head injuries. However, he also revealed that there were no clear signs of a struggle. Dr. Bozard found that there was a hole boring into Mary's skull through her forehead. Mary's body also had a two-inch long cut above her right eyebrow. According to Dr. Bozard's examination, Betty received um, the le- at least seven blows to her head and it was reported that the back of Betty's skull was nothing but a mass of crushed bones. So whoever obviously did this was very, very angry. Dr. Bozard concluded that a round instrument about a size of a hammer, a head of a hammer, was used to attack the girls. Later, it was also reported that the girls had a stopover at a white family's home, but it was actually never confirmed, and the police never looked for a white killer. After receiving an input from a former informer that the girls were seen talking to George, Clarendon County law enforcement officers arrested George Stinney and his older brother, Johnny. Later, they ended up releasing Johnny, but they held George for some reason. After the arrest of George, he was interrogated in a small room in the absence of an attorney, his parents, and witnesses. After the interrogation, the police reported about George's confession that he had killed Betty and Mary in an attempt to have sex with one of the girls. H.S. Newman, the arresting officer, made a handwritten statement which read, I arrested a boy by the name of George Stinney Jr. He then made a confession and told me where to find a piece of iron about 15 inches long. He said he put it in a ditch about six feet from the bicycle. Aimed the results of lynching, the police didn't 
reveal George's whereabouts even to his parents and they had no information about his whereabouts. The trial of George began at Clarendon County Courthouse nearly after a month of Betty and Mary's deaths. The court appointed Charles Plowden as George's attorney, but he actually did little to nothing to actually defend young George. The trial lasted barely two hours, during which nothing could be produced to protect George, and the most significant evidence produced against him was his alleged confession. Though a written record of his confession could never be produced, by the time when trial began, George actually had not seen his parents in weeks during the <clears throat> during the trial where almost 1500 strangers surrounding George that's a lot of strangers <laughs> after barely a 10 minute del- deliberation an all white jur- jury found George Stinney guilty and they did not recommend mercy for him. George's death sentence was pronounced by Judge P.H. Stoll of Kingstree on April 24th in 1944. As the date of George's execution progressed, various campaigns and protests ended up starting across South Carolina to save his life, and protester, protesters petitioned Gov. Allen Johnston, demanding clemency for George. And they were like basically saying, he's too young to be on the death penalty, to be like on death row. He's only 14. Protesters from all over the state and across the country sent hundreds of letters to the governor's office, and all they demanded was mercy for George. When protesters warned Governor Olin Johnston of racial tensions, he responded with a letter in which he describes George's alleged offense. Johnston wrote this, I have just talked with the officer who made the arrest in this case. It may be interesting for you to know, George killed the smaller girl to rape the larger one. Then he killed the large girl and raped her dead body. Twenty minutes later, he returned and attempted to rape her again, but the body was too cold. All of this he committed himself. On June 16th in 1944, George Stinley Jr. walked into the execution chamber at the South California, I'm sorry, South Carolina State Penitentiary in Columbia, dressed in a loose-fitting jumpsuit and a Bible tucked under his arm. Reportedly, the 14-year-old George Stinney Jr. was 5 feet 1 inches tall, and he only weighed 95 pounds. 
According to sources, when he was strapped into the adult-sized electric chair, the electricians had struggled to adjust the um, electrode to his right leg because of his small stature. And the mask was too big for his face. Before executing the judge authority... I'm sorry. Before executing him, the jail authorities asked him his last words and he replied, no, sir. Then the prison doctor asked, you don't want to say anything about what you did? And George again replied, no, sir. Then the switch was turned on and 2,400 volts surged through George's body. Reportedly, the current jolt caused the mask to slip off his face. The witnesses present in the room later revealed that his eyes were wide and teary and saliva was emanating from his mouth. After two more jolts of electricity, he was declared dead. In 2014, after 70 years of George Stinley Jr.'s execution, his murder conviction was overturned. On December 17, 2014, Judge Carmen T. Mullen, while overturning George's murder conviction, termed the death sentence great and fundamental injustice. After the exoneration of George Jr., his sister Catherine Robinson said, It was like a cloud just moved away. When we got the news, we were sitting with friends. I threw my hands up and said, Thank you, Jesus. Someone had to be listening. It's what we wanted for all these years. So, he was actually found innocent of the crime. Which is a damn shame because instead of losing two people, we actually lost three people. We lost the two little girls who were murdered and I believe the murder, the actual murder was never found. And then we lost a little boy who got prosecuted and sentenced to death for a crime he did not commit. Really quick, going back to the witnesses, because I found this when I was wrapping up my research. When George was sentenced to death, there was an audience of about like 15 witnesses, including the two girls' father, you know, Betty and Mary, who were murdered, and their fathers, and a white man, later to be rumored the real killer. But, you know, I don't... I don't think they were ever, the actual killer was ever caught. Now, that is the end of the story. It was a short one. I knew it wasn't going to be long, but I'm going to actually talk about some opinions and like how I feel with the case and how it just rubs me the wrong way. So, the first thing I have wrong with this case is that George was um, interrogated, you know, without a lawyer, without parents and witnesses, like I said, you know, it's against the law to interrogate a minor who is under, you know, a minor, he's a minor, 
you can't interrogate them without a parent or guardian or something um, that is with them. And you just can't do that. And that's very sad. And, you know, he was only 14, so he probably didn't know much about law. And he probably thought, you know, they were just talking, like asking him questions. And they were prob- they probably were like, you know, just tell us what happened. We'll let you go. And honestly, I believe they forced his confession. I don't think he actually ever confessed because, I mean, you know, I was reading another article when I finished this up and he met somebody in jail. I think his name was Johnny as well. And he said, why would they lock me up if I'm innocent? Um, you know, he always proclaimed his innocence like he was innocent. But, you know, since we, you know, going back to the story, since it was segregated, it was, I mean, his jury was all white, what was it, like all white males or whatever. They, there was no color of his peers. It was an all white jury, which that's wrong. I mean, back in the time, like, you know, this is when all that stuff was going on. And, you know, it's sad because I feel like we still deal with racism and everything to this day. And, you know, I fully believe, like, how I see it. Like, I don't think it's ever going to die down and everything. And it's sad because, you know... Like my kids, I teach them to love everybody. I mean, and children are so young and they look forward to their parents to um, to teach them the way. And I mean, you know, love has no color. You know, you should love everybody and treat everybody equally with respect. Um, you know, you like, you know, the saying. You should treat someone the way you want to be treated. And, you know, and that's what I'm raising my kids to do. You don't you don't see color because at the end of the day, we all bleed the same color as the, at the end of the day. We all bleed. We all bleed red. And, you know, and like I said, and I can't I can't. Um, huh, I can't express this enough. I like lost the word I was looking for. We're all human. And, you know, you just need to love each other. And you need to be friendly. And you need to be nice. Because you're te- you're, if you have children, you want them to have that mindset. You don't want them to be like, oh, I don't like this person because of this. No, love has no color. You can love anybody and... Be supportive, even if you don't, you know, and it goes back to if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything. I mean, I don't care if, you know, you're purple, black, white, gold, brown, silver with polka dots, you're gay, straight, bi, trans. I mean, I would look at you like I would look at everybody else, a normal human being who I, I choose not to um, hate on because 
we're all human and I think we all need to be nice to each other and change, change history and stop putting people up against people and stuff like that. But this case I definitely wanted to do because I felt so incredibly sad for this 14-year-old boy and not only him, I felt bad, you know, for the girl's parents the girls who were murdered and how I feel and I feel sad for their parents because they never got the justice. You were so quick to just pick on this one person because he was a different color and that's not right. Um and he died for no reason and these little girls died for no reason. So at the end of the day, nobody won. Everybody lost. I mean Prayers go out to the girls' family, to George's family. It is so sad. And, you know, like I said, I have two kids who are five and two. And like I tell my oldest, the world is a scary place. Um, because you, you never know what to expect. You know, right now we're in the middle of a pandemic. Um... And my five-year-old asked me, you know, Mommy, why do I have to wear a mask into the store? And I have to tell him because of COVID. And, you know, it, and it sucks because he's like, I don't like wearing masks. And I'm like, I don't like wearing masks either, honey. So, you know, guys, the message that I'm going for today is, you know, just treat everybody the way you want to be treated. Treat everybody fairly. Everybody has a background. Everybody has a past. Whether it's good, bad, ugly, scary, anything. That does not give somebody else the right the right right of way to treat somebody else less than a human being. I'm sorry. But guys, that is the story of George Stinney Jr. I really hope I'm pronouncing his last name right, and I apologize if I'm not. Um, but that's it. That was Friday's podcast. Um, we eventually are going to be doing the case on George Floyd. I don't know when I have to do. I want to make sure I have all my research for that in a case um, and like all my ducks in a row before I research and tell you wrong things. I'm sure everybody's heard about that horrible, sad, heartbreaking case because it is truly sad. But we will eventually do him. Um, I hope everybody has a good Memorial Day weekend. You can follow me on Instagram at Just a Girl in True Crime. You can also follow, follow the Facebook group, um, Just a Girl in True Crime. You can also send me a Gmail at Just a Girl in True Crime. And you can also, through the Anchor app, you can also send voice messages and everything like that. I forget the link, but I'll have to share it. So if anybody wants to say anything, you definitely can. Um, if you have any questions, ask me if you want. You can even ask through here and we can put it on the next episode and we could just do like a Q&A. I think that'll be pretty cool. Um, right now, I'm just kind of talking, and I apologize. But, guys, that is it for me tonight. And remember, please treat everybody with love,
kindness, respect, and all of that because we're all human and we all want the same treatment. And I will be seeing you guys Wednesday. And have a good night and a good Memorial Day weekend.